Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy, and it's exciting today to give my own update because we have finally broken ground here at my home, Maplehurst, on a project 12 years. Yep, 12 years in the making. So this is no quick and easy before and after. It's better than that. I know. Today we are taking a closer look at the alluring danger of those tap to clean social media memes we see everywhere and how cutting out messy means losing so much of what makes us human. So get comfy, friends. Here we go. I have been thinking a lot about homesickness the last week <laughs> and uh, the last couple of conversations we had around South Africa. I think I was still on the high of the experience, but now I realize like the long distance that lies ahead of us before we are back. And I have been very intentional the last week about just saying yes when friends have invited me for lunch or coffee or drop by or whatever, because I recognize that we actually do get to build community around us like that is community doesn't just drop in our laps we we have to be intentional about it and so when I get to sit down and talk to you Christy I do confess I have felt homesick for Maplehurst it's been a while since we've been there in person and I just had that thought like but that's up to us like if I want to come visit you I just need to Mm -hmm. get in my car and make that happen that's right. I mean, you can see what is right behind me, Lisa Joe. It is a little my bed in my office. <laughs> you can have it. <laughs> and actually, maybe even better than that, Lisa Joe. I don't know if some of our longtime listeners remember, but when we started this podcast, you would always come here so we could record in person and you would often take little videos for Instagram and you would show the third floor bedroom where you would stay while we recorded. Well, Um, That bedroom has been off limits to you and others for a while because my oldest daughter moved into it. But Lisa Jo, she is away at college. She is not here. But you can sleep there again if you like. Really? I feel like Lily would be, I don't know, I'd be like stepping on sacred ground to come into (laughs) her bedroom, which I'm sure is preserved the way she left it. Well, actually, Lisa Jo, just to give you a little insight into how things go at Maplehurst, I, I almost... I almost feel bad, but almost immediately after she left for school, um, we I can't remember how immediate. Maybe it's less immediate than I think. But pretty quickly, we had um, guests in town, like like a few in a row. And so almost immediately, I needed to put guests into, into that bedroom. Oh, wow. And um, it was pretty easy to do because she's very neat. She had taken most things to her dorm. But she had a few um, special things like stuff, stuffies and dolls sitting around. She had, I don't know if you can see it, but off to my right... I have it in here now. She had a a vase with dried roses that someone had given her after graduation. And so Hmm. no sooner had she left for college than I had removed (laughs) the stuffies, the dried roses. (laughs) They're in my office or they're in the other little bedroom here um, in order to make the room even more, you know, anonymous for guests. And that happened right after she left. But the truth is, Lisa Jo, we just, we need, we have guests here. We need space for them. It just, you know, like... 
time like what what's that change it keeps on changing i don't know that just <laughs> happens very fast at Maplehurst. so you will not be the first you're not the moms in a movie who like preserve the bedroom the way it always was <laughs> in sort of a creepy way i i really like this sorry lily if you're listening but i will happily reclaim what was first my bedroom before it was hers <laughs> that's right that's right and even like uh, i forget when this was october maybe my sister and brother-in-law came to stay and we wanted Lily to come back that weekend so she could see them. And um, that meant that Lily got the the little bed here in my office. Really? She right, because I had to put my sister now. in there. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> so she was a guest. She was on the guest bed. <laughs> Poor Lily. <laughs> no, I love that you're teaching hospitality in that way. I think that's so special. I think it's great for our children to always know what it means to create space for other people. Wow. That's that's describing it in a very generous way. I appreciate that, Lisa uh, well, Joe. I mean, when, so all that to say, you are welcome. And the room is yours when and if you want it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I will happily receive that. But I hear you. Um, and it's interesting. I'm glad you shared that about that initial high after leaving South Africa and then the homesickness that has set in. It's good to remember, even when we're telling our stories here, that you know, we can, we share snapshots in a way, but life is, it's made up of stories, but the stories are all connected and they're ongoing and they're often not just one or the other, right? Happy or sad. And um, we're living a story right now here at Maplehurst that is full of all that complexity. Like, it's a really great story. Um, but as we sat down to record, you asked me about it, like, are you excited? And I had to sort of think about it <laughs> before I answered. It's like, oh, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> yes, yes. That sounds about right for life. Yeah. So I shared recently just a little glimpse on Instagram. And I know I've mentioned it way back here on the podcast at some point, though I think it's been a while. Um, but we broke ground just this week on a really, it is exciting. See, mm-hmm. my my the, that word was coming out. It is exciting on a very exciting project here at Maplehurst, but one that has been so long in coming and planning and dreaming that I think it it's that kind of excitement that is still like heavy. Like we're still sort of trying to come to grips with it. And even um, I'm still sort of pinching myself like, oh, wait, this is real. This is going to be good. Like, I'm just starting to think ahead to to the completion of the project and realize, oh, wow, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be good. So, we um, just broke ground on a cottage for Maplehurst. I love that. And first of all, let's just pause on the word cottage. We once <laughs> did an entire episode just on our favorite words, and cottage oh, yeah. has to be one of them, right? Like, everything about it conjures up fairy tale images in my head, mm-hmm. woods, stone cottages, maybe a thatched roof, mm-hmm. a fairy godmother, magic coming out the chimney, like just everything <laughs> about that word is some of my favorite. I agree. It's cozy. Uh, it's contained. It's like the good parts of fairy tales, yes. you know, witches, but like, <laughs> you know, the happy little cottages in the forest. Right. Yeah. We're, we've broken ground on a cottage and um, it's it, it has a particular story. So really that goes back not even 10 years ago to when we came here, but even 
further back than that, before we ever moved to Pennsylvania, and we were still living in Florida and um, just feeling unsettled there and rootless and wondering what was next. And it was really in that place that we started to dream about a different kind of home, um, about community, about an old house that might foster community. And about a place that might even become multi-generational. So it was way back then, even while my kids were still small, that I started, you know, accepting, you know, one day my parents would grow older, Jonathan's parents would grow older. Could we create a home that could even, you know, have a wide welcome for them? And so when we came up to Pennsylvania to look for a home, that was one of the things we told our realtor. We said, we'd love to find an old house with lots of bedrooms, you know, maybe where we could have lots of guests, where people could live with us. But as well, could we find a home with like a, a, a granny suite or a mother-in-law suite or a barn or, or a cottage, something um, where potentially my parents or Jonathan's parents could come and live with us. And we found Maplehurst. We knew it was the right place, even though how it how it was currently set up, there wasn't anything there that said, yes, our parents can move in tomorrow. <laughs> so the dream didn't die, but we knew if it was meant to be, at some point we would have to build. So I, I know we shared that with our parents. We sort of put that out there that, hey, this is something we're open to. And, and we kept doing that over the years. And then more and more so with John's parents in the past few years, um, until about a year and a half ago, very quickly they made up their minds to um, put their house on the market, the house that they had built, that they'd lived in in Texas for a long, long time, um, their, their special place. They put it on the market, they sold, they packed up, they moved up here to Maplehurst. And um, the plan was that they would stay in the black barn. Our listeners know the black barn. <laughs> um, they would stay there and then we would start work toward building on our property, a little place that could be just for them, right-sized for them. Um, and that was the plan. But um, as I've also shared here before, um, the unexpected part of that plan, the thing we couldn't have known is that the black barn um, that we had really felt God inviting us to build, even though we didn't totally know why, <laughs> that one of the um, just really precious purposes that the barn would hold is that that's where soon after moving up here, Jonathan's father would pass away. Um, he was only here a few months before um, he entered hospice care. And um, and it was really, the word I just want to say is precious. It was just so precious to have the family together during that unexpected um, but beautiful time. And to have already made all the hard decisions, already made the move, um, and to just be right next door to one another. It was just, as hard as it was, it was just this gift from God that we hadn't expected. Um, but it did mean that after his passing, we had to revisit, you know, the whole cottage idea. You know, the the plot line of the story had shifted and changed and things were different now. Um, but we quickly decided that the plan that had been set in motion was a good one. And so Jonathan's mom, you know, committed to figuring out this cottage. So that that was more than a year ago, Lisa Joe. Wow, was it really? here we That's are this hard week. to believe. <laughs> we I broke know. ground. <laughs> That's hard to believe. Wow. 
Yeah. So yeah, what questions do you have for me, Lisa Joe? I feel like the whole story is swirling in my head, the architect's plans, the hopes, you know, it's all up here in my head, but I don't know how much I've shared with you. Well, for me, I think it's a continuation of last week where we were talking about this notion of how anytime you have in your life a moment of awakening, so whether it's spiritual or familial or relational or career-wise, you know how it is. Every now and again, there's kind of like these spark moments where we see something clearly and it feels like you are like awakened to something. That's how South Africa was for us. And part of what Pete and I have talked a lot about since we've come home is how do we not fall asleep again? And I think your story of the cottage is a really good practical reminder of how you're awakening, your sparks, your decisions that delight you. They happen in these moments, but then comes the drudgery of being human and how it can take a long time for those sparking moments to actually like catch fire. You have a spark and it just kind of smolders and there's smoke for a long time. And in that period, it feels like it's easy to fall back asleep and to think to yourself, oh, like, was this worth it? Is it going to happen? And I think what's been really precious in following the story along with you the last few years has just been, I I would describe it as sort of embodied faithfulness, because it's not just a sort of an intellectual faithfulness, like thinking God will do this or praying that he does it. It's embodied. You had to show up for like zoning and town council and planning (laughs) and working with the architect and the local community. Like it's embodied faithfulness. And I think... It keeps you in motion, and that's what keeps you from falling back asleep. But the motion Mm. itself isn't necessarily like a dance. It's not like a twirl of delight. It's just more like drudgery (laughs) as you climb one step in front of another, like the way you go up a mountain. And then when you're at the top, it's really beautiful. And Instagram shows us the amazing views, but nobody shows us the 14 hours of slogging and just looking (laughs) at the mud that it took to get there. And so I think it's a reminder for me who can over-romanticize like how South Africa was or you know, how do I stay awake to what God is doing that sometimes staying awake is not romantic. It is just an embodied faithfulness of doing the next thing to keep the momentum going forward, even if it's sort of like a falling forward and not like a, you know, staking your claim forward. I don't know. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? It does. You describe it really well. And I feel like even beyond this particular story we're telling, that is something our culture needs to hear and think about because we have all kinds of ways in our culture to numb ourselves or sort of deaden our awareness or sleepwalk through life. And and they can be appealing, right? It's hard to sort of wake up every day and go on feeling and go on doing and go on showing up. (laughs) Mm. And um, yeah, the cottage has been like that. So when you asked me before we hit record, are you so excited? I I think I paused, not because (laughs) I have any doubt or any, like, like this is such a good thing that's happening. And I feel, yeah, just so certain of that and grateful. Um, So it wasn't doubt. It was more, um, it was just that awareness of like, this is such a process that, oh, wait, am I, am I excited? And it is different from, like you said, a dance or, you know, the kind of excitement we might get 
through something quite easy like a shopping trip where we pick out a great new dress and, you know, where we, someone might say, are you excited? And you just say, yes. And you twirl in your dress. Like that is such an easy thing that is very exciting. Um, But this kind of beauty is not the beauty you get from a shopping trip. It's, it is that more um, faithful (laughs) showing up every day. And of course, even in telling this story, let me just put it out there from the get-go. Like, this is not a story about me. Like, I'm a part of it, but I am not the only faithful one here. Um, Much of that credit is obviously to my mother-in-law, who has committed to this place that is so far from the home she's always known, to my husband and to the amazing people um, that we've connected with in our community who've helped helped us from architect to contractor, builder, and so on. So, um, even though in this conversation, I will be saying I a lot, <laughs> just insert whole community of amazing people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, one of the things I was thinking about as we started this conversation is it's weird how much our culture has gravitated toward this idea of being in process now looks like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, there'll be like a real or an Instagram story where yeah. they say like, snap fingers or tap yes. to clean or tap to erect <laughs> barn or tap for new kitchen. And then you like miss out on months of whatever the construction was or how many hours it took to clean the house. And it is such a joy. I remember the first time I saw this, one of my cousins in Michigan took a photograph of their farm in Michigan that had like all these weeds in the flower beds just overwrought with weeds and it she had written on the picture tap to weed and I was like what and I'd never seen this before this trope it was a few years ago and I tapped it and then there were the beds like perfectly weeded beautiful flowers planted (laughs) there was something in my soul that raised up and was like yes Yes. how do I get that in my life (laughs) and the problem is that is the litany we're surrounded by now like this Tap to be made over, tap for the baby to now be an 18-year-old, tap for the room and remodel be done, tap to see my car clean, like whatever it is, we've now raced the middle. And I was caught short yesterday when I was watching on Instagram a series of stories by our good friend Layla Palmer from The Lettered Cottage, who is gifted at decor, at design. Actually, the shed I'm working in, my office, she helped me think through spatially, like where to put the shelves, what to do with the windows, etc. But instead of showing, and she actually has a makeover tool called Presto Changeo, where you send her a photograph of a room and then she mocks up in Photoshop like how it could look and you just tap and there it is, right? It's beautiful. Like she's the queen of that. And I love it. Like I'm addicted to it. I will watch all of those things over and over. (laughs) Yesterday, she did a series of stories where she showed the hallway in their upstairs of their home. And they've been working on redoing this house, this amazing, fun, multi-generational living property similar to you guys and they've been focusing on the staircase and it's so beautiful everything always looks like it's coming together in such amazing ways last night first she had all the lights off because she was like it's so chaotic up here it causes me so much stress i can't even look and then she turned the lights on and just was like i am going to show you the in progress and there are just piles of chaos of clothes of like building supplies of old carpet of trash that she was cleaning up like every surface was cluttered with something and in that moment christy something in me said oh i forgot about this part like i had completely (laughs) forgotten 
that this is yeah. what life looks like. You don't get the presto until you've had the meso in the middle. And I think exactly. that's what I'm reminded about the falling asleep. I think we're tempted to fall asleep when it looks messy because we're so used to a snap of a finger. But but that is not that is not how it works. And guess what? That's not bad. Like, I think we've actually received an inherent lie that it's bad to have this part where we're in process, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. strange because all of life is in process all of the time. We are in process. Yes. I feel like if Maplehurst has taught me one thing, it has taught me that I cannot live just waiting for things to be finished. I cannot live there because I will be waiting until I die. (laughs) You know, whether it's my children and their formation and their growing or this place or this garden or the projects we hope to do one day, I have to live now in the middle of it or I will never get to live. And that is the hardest lesson for me. But at the same time, I have also learned to give myself a kind like a kind of understanding and compassion. Um, And so this is particular to me. I don't uh, you know, but maybe some of our listeners will relate to this. Um, so I I love beauty and I don't just love beauty but beauty is so necessary to me. It is food, water, beauty. I I have to have it. And I really can start to wilt like a flower if my surroundings uh, if I don't have some sort of regular infusion of something beautiful. Now, the good news is I am made by a God who speaks in beauty. So there is almost always something we can find. Go for a walk in the woods, go to a park, like, the, you know, I go to Longwood Gardens, the conservatory in winter, like, you know, there are often these ways I can feed myself. But what I have learned over these 10 years of almost constant projects <laughs> and renovations is that I thought before that once we had started something, let's say, you know, for someone else, it might be a kitchen renovation that they've saved up for years. You know, for me, maybe it was a new flower garden. I always thought once we began, I should feel nothing but just contentment and gratitude because we've begun and it started and I should be grateful. But what I've realized about myself is that the beginning of new things is so messy and ugly that I will just, I will feel stressed. I will feel anxious. I won't, I won't want to look at it. I won't want to pay close attention to it. I will kind of want to go to sleep like we're talking about because of the ugliness of new things, right? But I've had this experience so many times over the years and I had it again this week. The excavators came. It was the day we'd been waiting for. We had prayed there'd be no rain. The machines are dropped off. They start digging And I saw it. Oh, here it comes. Mounds of ugly mud. (laughs) I will be living with mud. And then a trench. You know, I hear the word trench now and I just cringe because we have dug so many trenches here at Maplehurst. And here again, more trenches to be dug in this muddy January. Um, And so I felt it. And I, but I, but I didn't beat myself up about it. I just said, oh, yeah, that's always how I feel at the beginning. This is really ugly. I'm going to have to do some things to sort of take care of myself and get away from it and take myself to Longwood Gardens or let myself do a bit of daydreaming about how beautiful it's going to be next summer or think, you know, spend some time in a plant catalog and think about what we might plant around the new cottage. Um, but that's just something I've learned about myself. And I think maybe the bigger relevance here is that you might be doing the right thing. You might be doing a great thing. You might be excited about the right, great, good thing you're doing. And it can still take a toll. It, it might, it still might not be comfortable or fun. Uh, 
um, and you might get snippy at your husband because you're both kind of stressed about it or whatever, right? right? I mean, you're basically describing parenting, marriage, right. new job, like literally anything that you've prayed and hoped for when it comes. Right. Like, I just think about being a new mom, like waiting for this baby and then being yes. like, this baby is a nightmare. You're My right. life is on fire. <laughs> How do I get out of this? I mean, yes. new marriage. Oh, it's so romantic. We're going to stare at each other's eyes all day and have chocolate fondue. And instead it's like, really, your socks are on the floor? Like there's the laundry right. basket. I, don't, I mean, check. like this is the entire story of being human. And it's why tap to clean is so dangerous. Yes for us. (laughs) Oh, it's so true. It is so hard to live in the messy. And so here's what I've been thinking about, because so we're talking about like, you know, staying awake and not going back to sleep. And, um, and I have realized that some of that is using my imagination in kind of a wholly hopeful way. So, Right now, like looking out the window, oh, at least Joe, I mean, it is bleak here at Maplehurst. <laughs> it is so bleak. It is January. Nothing is green. Everything is bleached white and mud. And uh, I mean, <laughs> and a big pit dug out. I mean, it is so bleak out there. I told John, actually, before they even started the excavating, we had to have some big dead hollow trees taken down. And I walked out and I said, John, it looks like Mordor. We live in Mordor. <laughs> This is Mordor. <laughs> that is how bad it is. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And, and that and, and that is, that is just what my eyeballs see. Like, that is what I see. There is no, nothing else to see. But I have an imagination. And so I spent some time, it, it was almost a surprise to remember, wait, I can sit here and I can just, in my mind, like, move ahead a little bit and sort of remind myself, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? What's it going to look like next summer? And I thought about family coming to visit next summer. And I thought about having a place in in the barn, you know, for my, my mother-in-law's, you know, son and daughter-in-law to come up from Texas and all of us to be together here. And I sort of let myself remember what it's like when it's green and there's flowers <laughs> and we're eating outside. And I felt so much better. Like, okay, yes, yes. You know? So for me, like, I think part of being, part of persevering Part of staying awake, it means not having a tunnel vision for today. Like, But we can think that's what it is. We can think, oh, I need to be content. I need to be happy right where I am. I need to be just fully about this moment. And that is good wisdom for life, sure. But there are times where we, I think, need to just look beyond the present moment. And I think that's, that is faithfulness. That is vision. That is where we will see our hope renewed, right? Is right. not just looking around us and seeing what is, but remembering where we're headed. And um, and that too is is life, right? That that's not just cottage building or garden growing or parenting. That is life. Always to remember where we're headed and how good it will be and how beautiful it will be. Um, we we need to do that regularly, I think, exer- exercise that kind of vision, or we'll just be overcome by the bleak January mud of life. Yeah, I was thinking about, and I'm not sure I'm going to, I'm not sure I'm accurate. So let's see if I am. But I was thinking about God's creative work when he is creating in the garden and he, for six days, he creates. And at the end of every day, he talks about how it's good. But he doesn't say that he's finished ever. 
Does he? Like, I feel like he doesn't say he was finished. It says God rested. But does it say he was finished with all his work? But now I'm thinking maybe it does Not say that. Not until Jesus on the cross right. with the new creation. And so that's <laughs> yeah. why I, I think what I was, what I think is so interesting is what God was actually doing is putting things into motion when he's creating. Because the problem is I, I long for this lie of finishedness. Like I want the laundry to be finished. I want the mess to be finished. Like I think what makes me frustrated is that I have to go back and redo dishes again. Like they're never finished. And part of what I've been working on in my own mind with my story in my house is that no, the act of creating creation is that it's ongoing. It's in motion. And so to hope for or be frustrated that there isn't a finish is a misunderstanding of what it means to steward. Because when God created and then he gave it to Adam and Eve, he literally set chaos into motion in many ways, you know, like reproduce, like multiply, like all of that involves all kinds of messy moving parts. And then the time when he says it is finished, he's actually referring to the end of something that's trying to be final and kill us, like the end of sin, the end of like a dying, like that is what he's saying is finished. But, but life by its nature is inherently multiplying and creating more and more <laughs> messy middle. And so I don't know, I throwing that out there without having done the research, but it struck me as we were talking. Yeah, I think there is something to that. So I will actually read the the bit in Genesis. Yeah, fact check um, me. I'm sure our listeners will, will want to go to it too. So some of the language is there because Genesis 2.1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed. So completed Complete. is the word I have in this yeah, translation. Interesting. Completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And it would be interesting to do a deeper study yeah, on that I'm, word and, yeah. and then what Jesus says on the cross. So that I, I, I can't mm. say more about. But he had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then, and this I think is key, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he'd rested from all the work of creating that he had done. But then immediately we jump into this sort of inner account. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, but now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth. So somehow we've kind of gone back into the moment of creation, and that's when man and woman come up. And I think that leads to, you know, the blessing of of us, our involvement in creation, naming creation and being fruitful and multiplying and all the language of Genesis. So I think you're right that somehow we are invited into that slightly crazy, right. <laughs> abundant, constant moving parts, you know, generative yes. Uh, yes. array of an actively um, growing creation, which is what we're doing with our cottages and our gardens and our parenting. And um, it's what we were made to do, but that doesn't mean it will always feel, I mean, you can read, you know, just go on reading Genesis. It's not always going to feel right fun or right. comfortable. Right. And I think we've been sold the lie that for it to be good, it needs to be still, like, or stagnant mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. um, serene. Mm -hmm. And nowhere do we see that in Scripture. Like, that's not the story. Like, yeah. life is abundant and full and busy and messy and complicated. And then you can't just do a one tap and it's cleaned up. You know, there's always coming a teenager around the corner with, like, every time, Christy, when I've just finished the dishes, they arrive with piles of plates <laughs> out of their room. I'm like, like a week's 
weeks worth of plates and bowls is so disgusting. And I'm like, where has this even been? Like, I don't understand what this is. (laughs) And I think part of what what I'm leaning into these days is being less frustrated with them and more embracing that my job isn't to be finished. Like that isn't what I'm called to do. I am actually called to create. Like God is calling me to create with him. And in order to do that, I have to be willing to let the shrubs and the vines and the ants and the creepers Mm -hmm. and dreamers, you know, explode all over my house sometimes. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I say a blessing on your trenches and your mud, Christy, (laughs) a blessing on all of it. It is not what going to sleep looks like. That is what awake looks like. Right, right. We are leaning into it this winter at Maplehurst, and the timing is good because we're doing this messy, muddy work over winter, and the hope is that this spring and early summer, um, this new thing will be established and Mm. will be um, a shelter and will be a blessing, and um, the Baker family will come and hang out with us and, you know, (laughs) other friends and family. And uh, I look forward to that so, so much. But you said something earlier. I like, I want it to be the title of a book or you said creepers and dreamers. And I thought, (laughs) yeah, that's it. Like sometimes our, 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 our creative work just feels like creeping and crawling along the ground. And sometimes it's more like flying, you know, dreaming big and leaping, but it's all a part of the same work. Some of it right. slow, some of it fast, some of it muddy, some of it beautiful, but it's all the same work, right. same creative work. Right. So friends, this week, you know, when you're cleaning up after babies or teenagers or yourself, <laughs> When your yard looks like a disaster in January, it's okay. Like you are part of the creative work of staying awake and it's beautiful and we see you. And um, that can't be accomplished with just one tap of a finger. It takes like lives, lives, generations. Um, Mm -hmm. And just welcome, you know, as usual, messy is welcome here. That's right. (laughs) 